Ever have a conversation with your girlfriend that was so good you wish it had been recorded? Think those conversations would be great to be able to share? Wondering if there's support the recommendations your smart girlfriends give about mental, spiritual, and physical health? This podcast was born to answer those kinds of questions. Hello, I'm Sherry Coleman-Collins, registered dietitian nutritionist, and here with me in the studio is my girlfriend, Dee Wilson. We're excited to have you joining us today for this edition of the Southern Fried Girlfriends podcast. Dee, how are you today? I am doing awesome. Woo-hoo! I am really, really excited about this conversation that we're about to have. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be awesome. I am nursing a cold. <laughs> <laughs> So um, if you have heard me recently on another show with a cold, I haven't had a cold for two weeks. (laughs) We recorded two shows today. So on two shows, you will hear me with this cold. (laughs) I don't want people to be like, I'm not going to listen to that nutritionist. She's sick all the time. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Well, this is going to be a great show. And we are tackling a subject that's, I think, and you tell me what you think. I think it's really scary for many women. It is scary. Yeah. Yeah, it is scary. And it's something that's impacted most of us, right? So either um, we've been through this or we know somebody who's been through this. We are going to talk about breast cancer today. And we've got an amazing guest um, to talk with us about her journey. And before we dive into that, I wanted to share some statistics because to me, they're surprising every time I hear them. And then at the same time, it's like, okay, this is, it's a wake up call. It's a reminder every time I hear it. So according to the charity breastcancer.org, one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in her lifetime. That's huge. Like one in eight to me, that number is so surprising. And really men can also be impacted. So we're not going to talk about men with breast cancer today because that's not our show. But I do think it's important to mention that, you know, this is not something that men cannot have. There are certainly instances where men can have breast cancer, although it's much rarer. I mean, they have breast tissue, so... Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in 2018, the estimate was that more than 266,000 new cases of breast cancer would be diagnosed in the U.S. 266,000 new cases. Yeah. That's a year? Yeah. That's for that's for 2018. And more than 40,000 women were expected to die from their cancer last year, which is so surprising to me. I mean, I see those numbers, I hear those numbers and I think, wow, that that I mean, I know we have 300 million people in the country. So when we think about statistically, that's still a relatively small number. And if you compare it to something like car accidents or, you know, some other non-accidental trauma, those kinds of things, certainly then, you know, the number is much smaller, but it's still much higher than I expected. And the thing about it is if you're in that number. Oh, right. Statistics don't matter. It doesn't matter. Right. Absolutely. Well, the good news is that rates of breast cancer have actually been going down and survival has been going up. So I think treatments have been getting better and, um, and that's good news. Detection's better. Yeah. I mean, I think that there, I think that the news is not all bad, but I think that we have to really look at this, especially as women, because it's really easy. You know, we've talked about this before as moms and wives and busy women, you know, pursuing our career goals, whatever you're doing, it's really easy, I think, to just let go, let like um, preventive care go, right? Oh, for sure. You know, I recently had a a thing where I went to the doctor for my annual physical and um, doctor did a breast exam. And, you know, I'm very bad about doing them myself because I have (laughs) knobby breasts. So (laughs) I always feel like I have lumps, but, you know, my doctor felt something that was different from, you know, a year ago. Um, And I had not had, I had had a diagnostic mammogram on another area um, a couple of years ago. I was supposed to have another follow-up 
after I did a six month follow up and was supposed to do another six month. And I was like, it's the same thing. I'm not going back. And I hadn't gone back in two years. Oh, wow. So when the doctor felt that new thing, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. It was very frightening. Yeah. Well, and I'll admit that I'm overdue for my mammogram. Girl, I went in the fall. Squished. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I, went, I went for I went for my annual in the fall. I'm really good about going for my annual. So I go see my my you know I don't need the OB part anymore. But I see my gynecologist. <laughs> <laughs> I see my gynecologist every year, and I have some of you know I have like the normal routine stuff done. But the mammogram, it's like it requires an extra visit. Mm-hmm. And I got to call and schedule it, and it's such a hassle. But y'all. I'm a big girl. I need to get myself together and go. So I'm committing to go. I will make the appointment on Monday and I will go as soon as they can get me in. <laughs> I'll hold you accountable for that. Okay, you do. You do. <laughs> so that voice is our guest today, and she's a breast cancer survivor with an incredible story of heartache, recovery, and hope. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. We're excited. We're excited. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about Lindsay um, from her bio, and then I'm going to let her tell us her story because I think you guys are going to be blown away. Um, get your tissues ready because you might need them, or um, get your, you know, go pee, put it on the <laughs> Go like pause the show, go pee so that you don't get tickled. And you know, I know we're all mamas (laughs) or a woman of a certain age. That's right. (laughs) Like, I can't sneeze too hard. (laughs) So, Lindsay Hayes is a BRCA1 triple negative metaplastic breast cancer survivor. That is a mouthful. She's married to her best friend since the sixth grade, John. I love your love story. They have two daughters, Brooklyn, who's three, and Brianna, who's 20 months. She's been with the Coca-Cola company for six years and previously was an event planner. So I just heard, we heard another friend of ours raving about your event planning (laughs) skills. So she's a little bit of a party girl, but not in the bad way. (laughs) So Lindsay's definitely a Southern Pride girlfriend as she's an Atlanta native and enjoys all things Southern, including Coca-Cola, our official drink, (laughs) Atlanta Falcons, and the Georgia Bulldogs. In her spare time, she enjoys spending time with her friends and family or Orange Theory and playing tennis. She's passionate about giving back, volunteering with the Light, Lighthouse Family Retreats, which is for cancer survivors, right? For children with cancer. For children with cancer. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Being active in her church and sharing her story that entwines health and faith to inspire others and give them hope. So thank you so much for joining us, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. So I just, I just gave a lot of information about you sort of now, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey and how it started? Sure. Well, breast cancer has always been a huge part of my life. Uh, growing up, my mom had cancer three times. She had breast cancer twice and ovarian cancer once. Um, the first time was when I was in high school. And honestly, I kind of blocked all that out. I was in high school and, you know, living my selfish, you know, years, not thinking about anybody else but myself. <laughs> about how old were you at that point? Um, I was, I think I was a junior in high school okay. at that time. Um, so she had breast cancer, had a single mastectomy because at that time they didn't do double mastectomies when you had cancer. This was a long time ago. Um, and so then fast forward to the end of my college years and my mom was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. It was a rare form called MMT and she went to a very prominent hospital in Charleston and the doctor told her, there's nothing we can do. You're not going to survive. The tumor's too large. We can't operate on it. Um, And at the same time, my grandmother was diagnosed with ovarian cancer as well. And my grandmother was like one of my best friends. I was very close to her. I actually called her that day we were at the hospital to tell her about my mom. I ran out of the hospital crying and called her and told her about it. And then a couple months later, she was diagnosed. So 
fast forward, my mom actually went and got a second opinion. She came to Atlanta and got a second opinion from Dr. Benigno, who is amazing. I love him. And he said, I can do it. I'm going to operate. He did it. He saved her life. And Mm. we just thank him so much for that. Um, But then my grandmother actually passed away from ovarian cancer. And I always thought that that was God knew I could not handle losing both of them. So Mm -hmm. he took my grandmother instead of my mom. So I got to have my mom for a a lot more years after that. Um, And then about five years after that, I was in my 20s. My mom got breast cancer again in her other breast because she had not had the double mastectomy because they didn't do that back then. So she got in her next breast. So, but she fought that. She's the most courageous woman I, I've ever met, but um, she fought it and survived. So she was a three-time cancer survivor. That's wow. amazing. So she taught me how to how to fight and be strong. So. so your mom, after her cancers, how did you think about cancer then? Did you, were you just kind of like shutting down? How old were you when she had, after she survived her third cancer? I was in my late 20s. In your late so 20s. So I was still okay. selfish child, you know, <laughs> living my own life. So, so had you thought, though, that you might be at increased risk? I, I always had that in the back of my mind, yes. And they, that's when they first started doing the genetic testing. And right. my mom always was like, do you want to go do it? And I was like, no, I don't want to know. Yeah. And then I remember in the beginning when they first started doing that genetic testing, it was one of those things that was like, if you know, then what do you do? Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's really the thing about any genetic testing is like, I think – Knowing if there's something you can do is mm-hmm. good, mm-hmm. but knowing if there's nothing you can do may not be right. good. Yeah. And it's a very personal choice. Right. Some people know and they don't do anything. Or, right. You know. So, but, and then my 30s, I decided, okay, let's, let's go do this. Let's get this test done. And so my mom got tested first because if there's someone alive that's had breast cancer, they test that person first before they would test me. Okay. Because if she was negative, then they wouldn't need to test me. Right. Got it. So she tested positive for the BRCA1 gene. um, And then I tested in 2010 and I tested positive as well. So um, in 2011, we decided to go to the FORCE conference and FORCE is facing our risk against cancer empowered. Mm. And so it's basically about genetic breast cancer. Wow. Um, So we went to this concert, this conference in Orlando Um, And I got a lot of information. I did a lot of research. I actually met uh, the surgeon that I ended up using, and I had had a double mastectomy at the end of 2011. So a proactive, you did not have cancer. You just decided, I'm just going to do this now. Right. I saw all my mom had to go through, and I was like, I do not want to go through that. I'm going to do everything I can to prevent that because – since if you have the BRCA1 gene, you have an 80% chance of getting breast cancer wow. in your lifetime wow. and a 55% chance of getting ovarian cancer. Wow. Yeah. And Which t- explains your mom's cancer. And your grandmother right. probably had it too. Yeah. It, but grandmother was actually on my dad's side. Oh, So oh. I was like, wow. And ovarian from both cancer, ends. yeah, ovarian <laughs> cancer is not super common type of cancer. So that's really yes. surprising. And it's hard to detect as it well is. until it's usually too late. Yeah. So. so you made the decision to get the double mastectomy preemptive. Not pre- prophylactically Prophylactic. is the word yep. I'm looking for. <laughs> um, and was that based solely on what you saw your mom go through or because of some of the research that you did after the conference um, or I combination? It was, it was probably a combination. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, now this is, again, my personal choice. Other people have different views. In my mind, they're just boobs. Yeah. I don't, I don't need them. Like, yeah, I won't be able to breastfeed once I have children. But. I'll be alive. That's why formula exists. <laughs> yeah, not right. everyone breastfeeds anyway. I'll, I'm sure my children would rather have me alive than yes. have my breast milk. So, right. so that, to me, they were just boobs. Take them off, and, and we'll go from there. Um, 
Yeah, I think I think that that is I think that the way that you say that that is such an individual choice is absolutely true. And, you know, as a dietitian, my approach to health and nutrition and all the choices that we make health wise are certainly about reducing risk. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk about ways to reduce risk, um, whether you have a genetic predisposition or not. So we're going to talk about that at the end. But I think it was such a brave thing for you to do, Lindsay, to make that choice. Thank you. A lot of people tell me that, oh, you're so brave, but really, I'm a control freak. <laughs> so that's why I did it. I was like, I'm going to take control of this right now. So that's, so you were not I can married. control this, right. so yeah. let me go ahead and do right. it. Yeah. So you were not married then, or you were? I was dating my husband, okay. literally for a couple months. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but we had, like you said before, we had known each other since sixth grade. We were best friends, but we didn't start dating until our 30s. So we had just started dating, and he's the one that actually encouraged me to go get the genetic testing done. And he actually was at the grocery store um, getting stuff for us to make dinner one night when I got the call from the genetic counselor that I did have the gene. And I called him crying hysterically, and he he rushed home and held me and cried with me all night, you know, and I just, I just knew he was the one. And then later that year. We all think he's the one. He's, no. he's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and then later that year, I had the double mastectomy, and he was in the hospital with me every single night. Him and my mom took turns in the hospital. And most guys would run. Like, yeah. that's a lot to deal with, especially in a new relationship. Mm-hmm. And he was just there for me every step of the way. And that's then I had awesome. a lot of complications during my surgery, so I had to keep going back for more surgery. He was there for me the whole time. Why did? What were the complications? Why were they associated with the surgery, or were they something else? They were associated with my reconstruction. Okay. So I ha- I didn't get implants. I took tissue from other parts of my body, yeah. which is a lot more complicated. Okay. It's like a twelve hour surgery. Wow. So um, what I initially did was had tissue taken from my butt because I had a kind of a large butt. So I was like, <laughs> I'm gonna get a smaller butt out of this. <laughs> So they took the tissue, but they also have to transfer blood vessels. And so that is like extreme right there for to find a doctor that knows how to do that. But my blood vessel and my left breast kept failing. And so they had to keep rushing me back into surgery to redo it. And that's happened for a week. I was in the hospital and I had like three or four surgeries during that time. And finally, they were like, all right we can't do this anymore. And I was like, I can't do this anymore either. I had to keep starting over on the recovery process. And I was in a lot of pain. So they just went ahead and took out the left tissue. So for three months, I only had one breast. But for that three months, I got to eat whatever I wanted because my <laughs> next surgery was going to be taking tissue from my stomach. And I didn't have enough fat in my stomach, so I got to eat whatever I want, which was a cheeseburger. Exactly. We literally, my husband and I literally went to the store to find the most fattening ice cream that they had. <laughs> it oh, was amazing. that sounds amazing. <laughs> I didn't even know, and this is an aside, but I didn't even know that you could do breast reconstruction with something other than an implant. Yeah, a lot of people don't know. And a lot of doctors don't do it. So that's why I had to go to Charleston to get it done because at that time there was no one in Atlanta that even did it. So wow. And I had met him at the conference, so that's how I heard about it. And I don't mean to be creepy, but you look amazing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> They're beautiful. <laughs> well, I mean, through your shirt. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Taking this out. <laughs> So, okay, so you had the surgery, you had the reconstruction. Yes. You're finally done with the reconstruction, you think. Right. And then what happens? Um, Basically, I just go on living my life. Um, Then we got married in 2014. In 2015, we had our first child. 
Wait, let me back up real, real quick. Um, my mom passed away in 2014. She was there for our wedding, which was amazing. Sorry, I'm going to cry. That's okay. That's why we have tissues. Uh, yeah, thank you for that. Girls, get your tissues. <laughs> um, so my mom was there to help me plan my wedding. It was in April of 2014, and then she passed away in December. Was it associated with the cancer? Or That's no? the crazy thing. No. She survived cancer three times and then um, went to get her gallbladder out. Oh, wow. Um, I on, remember On Christmas Eve. Yeah. And um, because of all the scar tissue from the ovarian cancer, the doctor did it laparoscopically, which she sh- never should have. She should have cut her open. But because she did it laparoscopically and there was so many, so much scar tissue, she nicked her intestines and uh-huh. she went septic and uh-huh. died a couple of days later. Oh. And at that time, I was pregnant with Brooklyn. And this is my second pregnancy because I had miscarriage the first time. So we were all very hush-hush about it the second time because we didn't know if it was going to last, you know, this time. So around December is when it was finally, like, safe to tell people. And my mom was so excited. And I actually told her on Christmas Eve that it was a girl. And then she died a couple days later. So, But I I was so glad that I got to at least tell her that it was a girl. And you had such a close relationship. And she gave you so much. Yes. What a gift. Yes. So... So my mom passed away, and then 2015, Brooklyn was born. 2017, we had Brianna. And then a month later, I was on maternity leave from Coke, and I was like, well, I might as well go ahead and get my hysterectomy now. I'm on maternity <laughs> leave, so we're not going to have any more children. So I had my hysterectomy in 2017. And was that also sort of proactively it to protect you from ovarian Exactly. Cancer? So I had a full hysterectomy ovaries, tubes, uterus, yeah, take everything. it all out. Yep. Take it all out. I don't need any more. So take it all <laughs> out. So, so I did that in uh, June of 2017. And then in March of 2018, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Which is just like, <laughs> you must have felt like, what the heck? Yeah. Come on. I felt like I had done everything I was supposed to do. And I had been through so much of my life with all my surgeries and my mom. And I was like, God, why? Why me? You know? Yeah. Even with the hysterectomy, had you made the decision that after you had your children that you were going to do that? Yes. So that I was, was waiting till I had my children before mm-hmm. I did it. And the doctors say, wait till you're done. And also probably till you're 40. And I was just turning 40. So about to turn 40. So you're like, okay, that's, this is the scheduled time. Let's yes, get this done. Exactly. Back to the control freak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I was actually diagnosed with breast cancer the day before my 40th birthday. Wow. So that was a rough week. <laughs> so how did that happen? What, what, how did you find a lump? Yeah. So we were asleep in our bed and something, I think God or my mom, my guardian angel told me to put my hand there. I was dead asleep and it woke me up and I felt this lump almost in the middle of my chest. So it was like right on the outer side of my my breast. And I woke up my husband and I was like, feel this. And we're like, oh, well, it's probably just scar tissue because I had had that in the past where I had to go back and have more surgery because there was so much scar tissue that needed to be taken out because it was bothering me. Like, yeah, it's probably nothing. You know, there's like a 5% chance that you can get breast cancer after prophylactic double mastectomy. So what are the chances, right? So I was like, well, I'll just go get it checked and just to clear our minds. So I went uh, a couple days later and uh, ended up being there for four hours. So they did the mammogram, they did the ultrasound, they did a biopsy. And I was like, this is not looking good. My doctor said, I can't tell what it is. I honestly can't tell you. And then she called me the day before my 40th birthday, a couple days later and said, I'm sorry, but you have breast cancer. And not only do you have breast cancer, but you have 
triple negative metaplastic breast cancer. Oh my, that sounds terrible. I have no idea what it is. Yeah. Explain so, it to us. So triple negative is one of the worst kinds you can have because that means that there's no hormones fueling it. So there's like ER positive breast cancer or progesterone, but mine was triple negative, which means if I had ER positive, I could just block those hormones to prevent the cancer from coming back. But since I don't have anything fueling it, it's triple negative, it's harder to treat, it's more aggressive, and more likely to have recurrence. Okay. And then the metaplastic part is the real kicker because less than 1% of breast cancers are metaplastic. Wow. And metaplastic means it's not a normal breast cancer tumor. It's made up of all different kinds of cells, and it's dividing rapidly, so it's very aggressive. So can I ask you a question? Yes. Do you play the lottery? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it seems I like should. you got every every. Po- I don't mean to make light of it. Yes. But it seems yeah. like every possible thing that could happen happened. Yeah. Everything bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like because everything bad happened, everything that shouldn't have happened happened. I feel like God put me in this position. Yeah. For a reason. Yeah. So. In order to tell other women That's and give I them think. hope. That's and you I do hope. that. <laughs> so you so you get the diagnosis and when is this? Is this March of 2018. So almost a year ago. Okay. Yeah. And then what happens? Uh, Your your doctor wants to be aggressive, I'm assuming. Of course. Right away. So um, that's the hardest part, I think, about getting breast cancer is the initial diagnosis because you're like in shock. I was especially in shock because there's only a 5% chance I could get it, which is a lot less than the normal population at this point. So I was in shock, and plus there's a very short timeline between when you're diagnosed and when you start treatment. And control freak. Thankfully. (laughs) Yes, because you want to get started right away. And control freak, I've got to get all the information I can. As much as breast cancer had been a part of my life growing up, I really knew nothing about it. I still Mm. don't even know what kind of breast cancer my mom had because that wasn't something we talked about. And I don't even know if they classified it as that back then because that was a long time ago. Um, So I knew nothing. So I did a lot of research. And then – so I started a chemo in April, but between March and April, I had 15 doctor's appointments with 10 different doctors in three different states <laughs> and four different opinions. So wow. I was, I wanted to get all the information I could because it's, so you sought out different I did. doctors. Okay. Yeah. I went to Boston. I went to MD Anderson in Houston. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to get the experts opinions. And luckily I was very lucky that all of them pretty much had the same course of treatment. So I felt like I was on the right path. So on April 4th, the day before our anniversary, (laughs) we started chemo, and I had chemo up until August. So, and I had a very, very tough chemo regimen. It was um, very tough on your system. Uh It was was rough. And we moved in the middle of all that. (laughs) My husband is a saint. He packed up our whole house and moved it all by himself while I I laid in bed. But, um, yeah, so I did chemo. Luckily, metaplastic breast cancer usually doesn't respond to chemo, but I had 100% complete response. Wow. That's amazing. Praise God. Yes. So I did chemo. By the time chemo was done, the tumor was undetectable. So when I had my lumpectomy, I had a lumpectomy because I'd already had a mastectomy. So there was no reason to do that again. So you just cut out what was there, and it was just dead tissue at that point. Um, So that was in this past November. And then I did radiation for 30 treatments every single day, Monday through Friday, up until um, the end of December. Wow. So, 
that was my journey. <laughs> and we're recording this at the end of January. And you yes. look amazing. Thank mm-hmm. you. And you feel great? I feel great, yes. That's it's so awesome. nice to be back to normal and my hair's growing back. It's a lot grayer <laughs> than I would like, but but it's there. You so I'm not complaining. It's so cute and I love your headband. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so um, Lindsay shared with us um, a, sort of an essay that um, that she thought captured the process that somebody who's being diagnosed might go through sort of explains how you feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is, I mean, just really will touch you. The first time I read it, I was like, this is exactly how I feel. And I've, and I've seen it posted on breast cancer boards and they're all like, yes, this is exactly how I feel when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I think it would help other people that haven't gone through it to kind of understand how we're feeling. Okay. Well, I'm going to read it. Hopefully my voice holds out in case you've ever wondered What it's like to go through cancer treatment? It's something like this. One day, you're minding your own business. You open the fridge to get some breakfast, and oh my God, there's a mountain lion in your fridge. Wait, what? How? Why is there a mountain lion in your fridge? No time to explain. Run. The mountain lion will kill you unless you find something even more ferocious to kill it first. So you take off running, and the mountain lion's right behind you. You know the only thing that can kill the mountain lion is a bear, and the only bear is on top of the mountain, so you better find that bear. You start running up the mountain in hopes of finding the bear. Your friends desperately want to help, but they're powerless against mountain lions, as mountain lions are godless killing machines. But they really want to help, so they're cheering you on and bringing you paper cups of water and orange slices as you run up the mountain and yell at the mountain lion, Get lost, mountain lion! No one likes you! And you really appreciate the support, but the mountain lion's still coming. Also, for some reason, there's someone in the crowd who's yelling, That's not really a mountain lion, it's a puma! And another person yelling, I read that mountain lions are allergic to kale. Have you tried rubbing kale on it? As you're running up the mountain, you see other people fleeing their own mountain lions. Some of the mountain lions seem comparatively wimpy. They're half-grown and have three legs or whatever, and you think to yourself, why couldn't I have gotten one of those mountain lions? But then you look over at the people who are fleeing mountain lions the size of a monster truck and a huge prehistoric saber fangs, and you feel like a effing (laughs) (laughs) For for even thinking that. And besides, who in their right mind would want to fight a mountain lion, even a three-legged one? Finally, the person closest to you, whose job it is to take care of you, maybe a parent or a sibling or a best friend, or in my case, uh, my husband, comes barging out of the woods and jumps on the mountain lion, wailing on it and screaming, Damn it, mountain lion, stop trying to eat my wife! And the mountain lion punches your husband right in the face. Now your husband or whoever is rolling around on the ground clutching his nose and he's bought you some time, but you still need to get to the top of the mountain. Eventually, you reach the top, finally, and the bear is there, waiting for both of you. You rush right up to the bear, and the bear rushes the mountain lion, but the bear has to go through you to get to the mountain lion, and in doing so, the bear totally kicks your ass, but not before it also punches your husband in the face. And your husband's now staggering around with a black eye and bloody nose and saying, Can I get some help? I've been punched in the face by two apex predators and I think my nose is broken. And all you can say is, I'm kind of busy in case you hadn't noticed. I'm fighting a mountain lion. Then, if you're lucky, the bear leaps on the mountain lion and they're locked in an epic battle until finally the two of them roll off a cliff edge together and the mountain lion's dead. Maybe. You're not sure. It fell off the cliff, but mountain lions are crafty. It could come back at any moment. And all your friends come running up to you and say, that was amazing. You're so brave. We're so proud of you. You didn't die. That must be a huge relief. Meanwhile, you blew out both your knees. You're having an asthma attack. You twisted your ankle. And also, you've been mauled by a bear. 
and everyone says, boy, you must be excited to walk down the mountain. And all you can think of as you stagger to your feet is F this mountain. <laughs> I never wanted to climb this in the first place. Wow. Yeah. It still gets me emotional. <laughs> That's an amazing picture. And I, and I think, um, having never been through this myself, but watching other people, I can absolutely see what a difficult and isolating journey that must be. Yeah. Cause nobody can really understand and nobody can, Nobody can take that journey for you. Yeah. You have to fight the battle. Yeah. It's a very personal journey, too. I mean, you can hear stories about people going through breast cancer. And when I was diagnosed, people would come to me like, oh, well, I know someone that had breast cancer and they survived. I'm like, I don't want to hear that. You know, like, I have my own journey. And you see me fighting over here, right? right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. So, and there's so many different kinds of breast cancer. There's so many different ways to treat it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, my best advice to someone would be like, go do your research pray about it and make the best decision for yourself. It is a personal journey and you have to make the decision that you feel comfortable with. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think as a dietitian, you know, I get asked lots of questions and, um, and sometimes from friends that I've seen struggle with cancer and they ask me lots of questions about nutrition and can nutrition make a difference. And if I do this fast or if I do, you know, this all fruit and vegetable diet, will I be cured? Will I be healed? And I always feel like, you know, I wish I could say something that encourages them. I wish I could say, yes, if you do that, it will, it will. Right. But the reality is that it, it probably won't. And, you know, the treatments for cancer are bar- barbaric. Mm-hmm. They're, they're um, difficult in every respect, whether it's surgery, radiation, or chemo, or in your case, all of those. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, w- one question I have for you is what, so I, so that, I think that picture of the the friends running up with water and mm-hmm. orange slices to someone who's in this incredibly right. difficult situation, what, what can we do to support the people around us who are struggling with cancer? Well, I think that was actually my biggest blessing through all this is I saw my family and friends just rally around me and even people I didn't even know. Um, I started a Caring Bridge site and I started documenting my journey, um, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and But I also tried to find silver linings along the way. And there was like little things here and there. Like I was going to the airport to go to MD Anderson and I was going to miss my flight. And then all of a sudden the security line opened up and they let me go to a different line, you know, just little God winks along the way, silver linings. So I shared those on my blog and people would tell me like, your blog is so encouraging. So I tried to keep that up, but I still wanted to tell my truth, even though some of it was hard. Yeah. So, but you were really raw. I read a lot of it. (laughs) Yes. I I wanted to put it all out there, but I also wanted to encourage people along the way. But it was just amazing how people that I didn't even know came up beside me and pray for me. And I met a lot of really amazing breast cancer warriors along the way Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, some of them have passed in the Mm -hmm. past couple of months. And that's always tough. Like, that could have been me. Mm -hmm. Like, why did... I make it and they didn't, you know, Mm -hmm. so that's always pretty tough. But I would say this whole journey has been a blessing overall. Wow. Because it has just opened my eyes um, to my my faith has gotten stronger. Um, My relationship with my husband has gotten stronger with my family and my friends. And it's just been as bad as it was. I wouldn't want to do it again, but (laughs) it was a blessing for sure. Was there ever a point in there where your faith was challenged? Um, I mean, the days, the bad days of chemo when you're laying in bed and can't eat and you can't do anything but just lay there for hours. Um, you sometimes you think like, why me? You know, and you, 
I was definitely mad at God at first, you know, like I did everything I was supposed to and you just took my mom and, and why is this happening to me? Like I have two babies to take care of, you know? Mm. So at the beginning it did, but then you have two choices. You can either go one way and be mad and angry and negative, or you can be positive and pray about it. And I really think the mental aspect of it has a lot to do with your healing. Yeah. I absolutely agree. And there's actually research that shows that, that the more positive your attitude is, the more likely you are to recover. That doesn't mean that everyone who has a positive attitude is going to recover. Right. But the more positive you are, the more likely you are. Absolutely. And that's the thing is to do everything you can. Where are you now? So I'm happy to report that I had a complete PCR, which means a pathological complete response to the chemo. So 100%. Yes, the chemo got rid of it. So I'm NED, which means no evidence of disease. So many acronyms. Sorry. (laughs) So you're educating us. Yeah. So I'm. I just finished um, my treatment not even a month ago. So um, I'm. I'm feeling great. Getting back in into real life. I haven't started working out yet because I'm like really out of shape now because it's been <laughs> over a year since I've worked out. But you I'm just li- fought a battle. Yeah, right exactly. Yeah. And exactly. You're not out of shape, but no. you just fought a battle. Right. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I get winded walking up the stairs. You're, yeah. You know what though? You're spiritually and emotionally strong. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I think, so much more important. Yes. The body we can train, mm-hmm. but the mind and the spirit, I mean, to me, that's, you're, you're clearly in better shape than most people mm-hmm. in those areas. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, what would you what would you say to women who um, want to do something to help other people who other women? I mean, I think as women, like you know, our, our instinct is to help each other. Right. You know, we we should. Right. <laughs> I think we I think we in order to build a tribe, we must. Yeah. And so, how can we be involved in this fight for other women? Yeah, it's it's a hard question. Um, but I really it's. It's a hard question, but it's also a very simple question. I think the best thing that you can do if you if one of your friends is diagnosed with breast cancer, tell them that you're there for them, tell them you love them, and then actually do it. Don't yeah. just say it. Do it. Yeah. What specific things could they do? Um, well, on my CaringBridge site, we set up um, a meal train, which was amazing because I couldn't cook dinner for my family. So yeah. people would bring meals, you know, every couple of days, and that was amazing. Um, giving people rides to chemo if they don't have anyone to go with them, sitting with them during a chemo treatment. I mean, most of the time you sleep the whole time, but just having someone there with you is really important. So, and prayer, a lot of prayer. Yeah. So. Yeah. It sounds like most of it is just being present. Exactly. It's not, you know what I didn't hear? I didn't hear you say, give a bunch of money. Right. (laughs) I mean, really, I didn't hear you say, give a bunch of time. Yeah. You know, it's doing those little things consistently in the life of someone around you who's hurting that makes all the difference in the world. That's wonderful. And so what about for the woman who's in the middle of cancer treatment? Maybe she just got diagnosed or maybe she's in the middle of her treatment. What would you say to her? I kind of touched on this earlier, but it's really is a personal journey. You can't listen to one person's story that said, oh, well, I had these symptoms from this chemo and, and this didn't work for me because everyone's different and everyone's body reacts differently. So just don't listen too much to all the stories and just get your research and make the best choices for, for you and yeah. for your family. Yeah. Even the way that their body reacts to the chemo is different. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Cause like mine, I have metaplastic breast cancer, which normally doesn't respond to chemo. And a lot of the people that have metaplastic, they say, go get surgery before you do chemo because you got to get that sucker out. But because I was it's the, so fast growing. Right. Yeah. But I was of the, 
of the mind that if I did chemo first, I would know if the chemo was working by if it was shrinking. Because I don't want to do chemo for nothing. Mm. I wanted to know I was doing the right chemo for my body that my body that was any other cancer cells that were in my body, it would kill. So I did the, and plus my tumor was very small. Luckily, I had caught it early because I had had the double mastectomy. It was right there on top. So I could find it early. It was only like two and a half centimeters. Yeah. Um, so it was very small. Most times when you have metaplastic, it's grown very large by the time you catch it. Wow. So, um, so I did the chemo first because I wanted to make sure that I was doing the right one. And then for the tumor to be there at all, how how did that happen if you'd had the double mastectomy? Well, it's not 100% that they can get all the breast tissue. So mine was on the very edge on the inside of my right breast. So obviously the doctor had missed a little bit of tissue there and I had the BRCA gene. So I was 80% chance of getting breast cancer and it went there. So, Man, so when I, I went to the doctor and got my mammogram and got an ultrasound on that spot and, you know, as I'm sitting in the doctor's office, I'm like, okay, you know, if it's cancer, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to get them all taken off and this is what I want my reconstruction to look like. You know, I was like, <laughs> this is how You're it was like, down the road. Of, yeah, I was. I was like, the way that my mind works is mm-hmm. I have to think solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this is the problem. This is how we're going to solve it. This is what we're going to do. This is what's going to look like at the end. Right. So I was already like halfway through you know my chemo but I've already had my reconstruction done this is what I want my breast to look like and I did not realize how afraid I was that I actually had cancer until the doctor was like it's just tissue it's just a, a mass it's it's benign it's just you know another part of your lumpy breast yeah. praise god yeah and I almost started crying I was just like ah. yeah but I did not realize how afraid I was until that point. Um, and I'm just so thankful that yes. it was nothing. And I'm thankful that I was um, pushed enough to go immediately right. to get the mammogram. Like, typically, it'll take me a couple of weeks to make that. I got there within a week. Mm-hmm. That's great. Like, Let me go ahead and get this done after not having gone for two years. Yeah. So <laughs> what I would say is get your exams get the mammogram. It's a booby squish. It's not comfortable, but it's not going to kill you. Yeah. And cancer can. Yeah. That's right. I totally get that feeling that you had. I had a scare just a week ago. Um, So three months ago, my doctor did a CT scan just to do like a baseline for when I was done to compare to. And they found two nodules on my right lung. And my doctor said it was too small. We can't biopsy. All we can do is wait and see if they grow. And if they grow, then you have lung cancer. And basically, that would mean I had stage four cancer because my cancer had spread to my lungs. Um, So we decided that it was nothing, my husband and I. And we weren't going to tell anybody. We didn't tell our family because we didn't want to scare them unnecessarily, you know. But I just had my scan two weeks ago, and they haven't grown. They're still there. I was hoping they'd be gone, but... But they can be leftover scar tissue from, like, an old cold or something. Mm -hmm. It can be literally nothing. So they're still there. They haven't grown. So when we found out, we literally cried tears of joy (laughs) and tears of relief. Because we we thought in our back of our mind that it was nothing. But it's still just to hear that it was nothing. We're like, Mm -hmm. breathe. (laughs) You know, so. And it's kind of the same thing. I had told Sherry the day before my appointment, I was like, yeah, you know, I've had the calcification. This is probably just another one of those things. It's nothing. It's not a big deal. But 
in the back of my mind. Right. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get them chopped off. I'm going to get them. <laughs> you know, right. um, that relief is real. Yeah. Well, in addition to Lindsay's encouraging story of hope, I wanted to share some very practical ways that women can help reduce their risk of developing breast cancer. And certainly if you have a family member who's had cancer, who's had breast cancer, who's had ovarian cancer, getting tested, doing the genetic testing is one possible way to help identify your risk. Yes, I would definitely recommend that. And just um, some information, like I have two daughters, so I'm very concerned about if they're going to have the gene or not, but you cannot get your kids tested. That has to be their personal choice. So they can't get tested until they're 18 and they make that choice for, for themselves. So just a little information for you guys. That's great. That's yeah. good to know. That's good to know. I, yeah, I can see how that would be really scary, but they also have your husband's genes. Right. So, you know, there's no guarantee they're going to have it. Right. And they're only three in one. So who That's knows right. how far medicine will come Absolutely. 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 They've already come so far. And certainly with genes, I mean, with the genetic um, research that's happening around cancer, there are all kinds of exciting things that are going to happen. Yes. Well, there are some things that you can do to reduce your risk, especially if you're not somebody who has the BRCA gene. One of them is to limit alcohol. This is like the one that I think people all the time, when I've said this in the past, they roll their eyes. (laughs) I I almost did. I was like, limit? What do you mean limit? (laughs) Well, less than one a day is the recommendation. Less than one a day. Yeah. So um, the more alcohol you drink, the more there's an increased risk. So Mm -hmm. the more alcohol you drink, the more you increase your risk. Reducing your alcohol, limiting your alcohol is a significant way to reduce your risk. Don't smoke. Duh. Don't smoke. Don't smoke. <laughs> like smoking to me is like one of the, my biggest pet peeves because there is no good thing about smoking. Smoking increases your risk for everything. It does, but it feels – I'm a former smoker. I know. <laughs> I smoked I know. for like, I don't know, 15 years. I have now been quit for – a little over 10. Uh, it's been 11. Wow, congrats. Thank Woo-hoo. you. Thank you. But you And know. now you have the risk of a non-smoker. Do I? Yeah. After oh that God. much time. Yay! Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's never too late to quit. That's the it's other thing. It's never too late to quit. As soon as you quit, stop smoking. It is hard because it, it is does hard. kind of feel good. Yeah. Um, and but it's killing it's yourself addictive. a little bit at a time. I mean, you're just bit. killing yourself a little bit at a time when you smoke. And bit. I think the, that that's the one thing I would say that if you quit, if you smoke, quit smoking. It will it will improve your health in every single area. True. Respiratory, cardiovascular, every single thing will get better if you quit smoking. Mm-hmm. All that. Control your weight. This is one one of those that's like, ah, there is some You want me to quit risk. smoking or control my weight? I want you to do both. But if you are only going to do one of those, then quit smoking. Because even carrying around a little bit of extra weight or even a lot of extra weight, it, it increases your risk less than smoking. Smoking increases your risk more than anything. And it's not, that's not just for breast cancer. It's every kind of cancer, right? Be physically active. And this kind of goes back to the controlling your weight. But being physically active actually exercising your body helps to reduce your risk for cancer as well. Breastfeed. So when you have your babies, if you can, you breastfeed. I mean, I think that that's one of those things that we're learning so much more about all the benefits of breastfeeding and definitely it reduces your risk that's for breast cancer. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah. There is some interesting nuances to that about age too, though. The older you are, if you, the older you are before you have your children and breastfeed, the less benefit there is, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean you shouldn't do it. So like I was, I don't know how old I was, how old was I? 40 when my son was born <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it hasn't been that long. So I, you know, my benefit may be less than if I was 30 when I mm-hmm. breastfed him, but there's still benefit. And so I think if you can breastfeed, you should, um, limit the dose and duration of hormone therapy. 
Now, hormone therapy is one of those things that, in your case, you didn't have a hormone-dependent cancer. No. So but I was on hormones because I had just had a hysterectomy. Right. But I got off of them. You I, did. Even though I was triple negative, and even now, I have the worst hot flashes ever, but I'm not taking any. <laughs> yeah. I'm not risking it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, that that's one of those things that each woman has to decide. Like, what right. is the risk I'm willing to accept? Exactly. And talk to your doctor, discuss that with them, determine what your individual risk is, and then decide. I mean, some, some women have such difficult time with their with their menopause that they have to take some therapy take some hormone therapy or with having had a hysterectomy they have to take something or they feel like they have to take something there are lots of natural options out there um or you can just you know grin and bear it or you can try hormone therapy and then just see you know if you are going to take it i think one of the the wisest things to do is take the lowest dose that's effective for you and your doctor will tell you that i mean that i'm not giving medical advice but i think that's what any good doctor would tell you and then the other one that i thought was interesting as I was reading these from the Mayo Clinic website is um, to avoid exposure to radiation and environmental pollution. So radiation would be like any kind of medical imaging that you have done. Um, Okay. I'm like, are we living in the Avengers movie? Where am I getting exposed to radiation? (laughs) That's so funny, (laughs) Dee. You know, I'm thinking like medical imaging that's elective. You know, there are definitely things that we have to have done and we should have done. And I'm not suggesting that people should forego medical testing or screening, but we should limit it if we can. So, you know, not doing more than we have to. Um, and, and that is protective. I think that those are some of the best things we can do. And of course, I would be a terrible dietitian if I didn't say, eat your fruits and vegetables and your whole grains. <laughs> you know, I think that the research is really... Um, uh, there's a lot of good research. There's a lot of not as good research. There are a lot of things that are inconclusive. I don't think that nutrition alone can prevent all types of cancer, but good nutrition can improve our health to keep us healthier no matter what, and certainly can get us in a position where we're better prepared to fight cancer if we go into it healthy, right? Yeah. So eat your fruits and vegetables and your whole grains, <laughs> lean proteins, all those good things, <laughs> and that'll definitely make a big difference. So as we wrap up, Lindsay, do you have anything else that you'd like to say to a woman listening who's got questions or concerns? Any resources you'd send them to? Um, well, first I want to say that after all I've been through and you know, all the things that happened that shouldn't have happened, I feel like God has put me in this position for a reason. So I just finished treatment not even a month ago, but I am ready and willing to do whatever God places in front of me so that I can spread my story and spread hope. And like coming on this podcast, I was yeah. very nervous. I'm still nervous. <laughs> still my heart's being really fast. You've done amazing. <laughs> but so I'm just ready and willing to do whatever I can to get to get the message out there. Um, and then also back in November, my family was selected to go on this beach vacation with other breast cancer survivors with Little Pink Houses of Hope. It was a great organization, a great time, and so I'm hoping to get more involved in that organization. Um, How can we find them if we want to find them online? Are they at Little Pink Houses? Uh, Littlepink.org. Littlepink.org. Is is their website, yeah. So I'm hoping to start volunteering with them and going on trips and just helping other women in their journey. I have this, like, image of this whole, this row of, like, Little Pink Houses (laughs) on the beach. (laughs) (laughs) And they have them all over the country, so not just in Florida. That's where we went in Florida because it was easy to drive, but they have them all over the country. I Um, love that. Like, 10 to 12 retreats a year. That's wonderful. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for joining us, Lindsay. Thank you for having me and letting me share my story. I love it. It's been really encouraging. I knew that it was going to, there were going to be some sad parts, but I think that your hope 
and your encouragement and your spirit. Absolutely. For anybody who's listening, it's going to be an encouragement to them. So thank you for overcoming your fear yeah. <laughs> and for joining us. It wasn't scary, right? We yeah, were not. Nice. You guys are great. Thank you for having me. <laughs> awesome. Well, ladies, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us for this show. I know that uh, many of you are thinking, what should I do next? Next, you should call your doctor and schedule an appointment if you haven't seen them recently. <laughs> get your boobies squished up. Get your boobies squished up. I'm going to get mine done. I promise. <laughs> Lindsay's going to hold me accountable to that. <laughs> and as we wrap up the show, we have a question we ask every time we do the show at the end. The question is, what is one thing you're going to do to be healthier today? What do you think? Well, for me, I have binge watched the Marie Kondo show on Netflix. Oh. It's amazing. <laughs> and even though I've done a lot of clutter, clutter clearing and feng shuiing of my home over uh, the Christmas break, um, I found that there were still like one, two, three closets in a garage that needed some extra work. Mm -hmm. And so I have done my master bathroom closet and bedroom closet and it looks amazing. Everything in there I absolutely love. It all sparks joy. Um, <laughs> and so I'm going home today to finish up the last, which is the garage. I love that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. What about you, Lindsay? Um, I think I'm just going to go rest. Good. <laughs> we have family movie night on Friday nights and last night we didn't get to do it because we had other plans. So we're going to do family movie night tonight and just rest in the, in the theater in our basement with our kids and just enjoy our time together. I love that. That's what movie amazing. are you guys going to watch? I don't know. We, we never know until we get down there and we're searching Netflix for something that the kids can watch. So. Oh, I love that. I love that. I think we're going to do a movie night tonight too. And I'm going to rest. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting this cold. I feel better, but I definitely still need some rest time. So I'm going to drink lots of water and I'm going to rest. Awesome. Hope awesome. you feel better. Thank you. I will. I will. I feel better already. <laughs> All right, ladies. Thanks again for joining us. We are crazy about you. If you've got any suggestions or ideas or you want to make comments, please don't hesitate to reach out to us via Facebook or by email. You know how to reach us. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye.